Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, May 25th. We begin with a look at the horrific school shooting that took place Tuesday at a Texas elementary school. We hear reaction of President Joe Biden on the incident and share our listeners' thoughts on the issue of gun violence and gun control in the United States. It's now been three months since Russia first invaded Ukraine. What needs to be done to bring this conflict to an end? We'll discuss with Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Do you suffer from tinnitus? According to Stats Canada, approximately 37% of Canadians have dealt with the hearing condition characterized by a ringing sound in their ears. We get some details on a new study that looks at the link between tinnitus and sleep. And continuing our conversation on hearing, when was the last time you had your hearing checked by an audiologist? Or is it the case that you've never actually seen a professional? Well, I had the chance to get my hearing checked last week. We'll walk you through the process and learn about the latest in technology available to help those living with hearing loss. Another massacre. Uvalde, Texas. An elementary school. Beautiful. Innocent. Second, third, fourth graders. And how many scores of little children who witnessed what happened see their friends die as if they're on a battlefield, for God's sake? They'll live with it the rest of their lives. To lose a child is like having a piece of your soul ripped away. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? That, of course, U.S. President Joe Biden after yesterday's gun rampage in the United States. 19 young children, two adults killed at an elementary school in Texas. These kids were in grades two, three, and four. From what we know, the gunman went into, an 18-year-old gunman, went into one classroom. That's where all of the the victims were killed. Uh, Luckily, they called in, the the police seemed to have called in some sort of uh, request for border agents to come from nearby areas. And one border agent rushed into the school without any backup. And he's the one who killed the gunman and probably saved a whole lot of lives doing it. It's within maybe a little further than 50 miles from the Mexican border. So obviously there would be a presence from those border patrols. But what's, uh, you know, stuck with me when I heard that clip, I heard it through the overnight news with President Joe Biden. Maybe with uh, Obama, I started to hear more of a talk toward like what needs to be done and not just thoughts and prayers in it within a speech or reaction. But him mentioning, you know, standing up to the lobbyist. This is the first, I guess, real and frank discussion that I've heard within the words of a president myself. This is this is my feeling. Is this is this going to be the massacre? Literally, it was a massacre that it takes to to have real change in the USA. Sadly, I don't think it is. I don't think so. I don't. I don't know that. I think that the Americans are so protective of their guns and their gun rights. I just don't know that anything is going to stop 
you know, these, these kinds of situations. You know, we've got some texts coming in. Love to hear your thoughts on exactly, you know, what happened, your feelings on the whole thing. 403-974-8255. This is from Bob here in Calgary saying, you know, um, I'm a responsible gun owner for hunting purposes. I like our gun laws and I find it easy to comply. I will never understand why Americans and some Canadians feel it's necessary to have guns as weapons. I think most people feel that way, Bob. It doesn't make sense. And we are Canadians. We are on the other side of the border. We're on the other side of the fence looking at our neighbors. Kathy sends in this text and says, Hi, Sue and Andy. The U.S. Constitution needs to be ripped open and updated. The arms that they have uh, the right to bear are not the rifles, pitchforks, and swords of over 200 years ago. It's unbelievable that the American people are held hostage by the NRA. Unfortunately, constitutional change doesn't seem to be in their vocabulary. So much money involved, so much politics involved. Somebody else, uh, Mike, says gun control in the USA, not in a million years. It's in the Constitution, but they need better background checks. That won't stop it. Uh, the USA is is a violent, dangerous place. But, you know, to your point, Mike, background checks, that's one of the things that, you know, a lot of people have been arguing for of late, and they still are not following through on that, and that would help in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, your thoughts on this heartbreaking headline, and it is a headline, once again, a conversation that we're having, once again, mm-hmm. uh, sur- you know, surrounding gun violence in the U.S. And the Canadian government announced it's sending an additional $98 million worth of ammunition to Ukraine. But after three months of fighting, what will it take to bring this conflict to an end? With some insight, we're joined once again this morning by Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Good morning to you, Andrew. Thanks for being with us again. Good morning, Sue and Andy. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much. Okay, we are three months into this Ukraine war. What, if, if anything, what, what needs to happen, Andrew, to try and bring this conflict to an end? Well, we have two competing narratives now uh, in terms of where things should go or will go. There are calls for a ceasefire. Um, Italy uh, put out, actually, last week, a proposal to the United Nations for a, a, a ceasefire plan, um, the United States, when their minister, their uh, their secretary of, um, of of defense talked to the Russian minister of defense about two weeks ago, called for a ceasefire. On the and and on the Italian thing, the Zelensky phoned the Italian prime minister and said, "Sorry, now's not the time." But this leads to the other narrative uh, because the Ukrainian position. And the position of, uh, like, the real hard, hard, not hard line positions of, like, Canada, the Baltic States, Poland, the UK, uh, is that uh, no ceasefire until there is victory. Okay, so that's the alternative narrative, and the victory is not completely defined. Generally, Zelensky has said he said two things. Once he said it means the expulsion of all Russian forces from Ukrainian territory, including uh, Crimea. But he's also talked about things like at least restoring the Russian line back to where it was at the line of contact on 24th of February. So that's a more modest military objective. So you have these narratives, and and uh, and there, there's a, there's a question: How long can this be sustained? We are now into a grinding war of attrition. That's a given. Everyone agrees that we're grinding away. There are heavy casualties on the Ukrainian side now. Zelensky's admitted that in the battle for the Donbass, they're losing up to 100 soldiers a day being killed on the Ukrainian side. That's substantial. And we know the Russians have been uh, suffering considerable casualties. So the question is, where's the willpower? How long, you mentioned Canada's support for Ukraine with those uh, the artillery shells and so on. 
But how long can all these other various countries sustain it? And there are interesting polls out there showing that the, the support in certain countries is weakening. Um, I'm wondering, because you mentioned it's a, you know, a, a grind at this point, is it possible to increase sanctions not just against industry but also individuals in Russia to the point where the Russians can no longer literally afford to wage this war? That's, that's been very much the, uh, the Western narrative. It's been very much the political hope. But thus far, uh, the evidence suggests that that's not achievable so far. Um, now, Zelensky uh, uh, on Sunday uh, at the, uh, the, the Davos uh, World uh, Economic Conference made a video appearance, and he called for like a complete uh, shutdown of uh, basically business with Russia, complete isolation. He, you know, he called for a um, uh, complete oil embargo. Uh, blocking all Russian banks uh, and cutting off essentially all international trade with Russia. Um, but at the same time, we're talking about the sustainability issue here. He then mentioned to the Davos audience that, oh, by the way, uh, Ukraine needs $5 billion U.S. dollars uh, funding per month to sustain Ukraine's economy and military effort. Um, so, you know, this is where, this is, this is the issue here. Can, can you get, these are kind of heavy duty, almost absolutes, and they're, they're competing against each other. Andrew, you talked about lives lost on the Ukrainian side to the tune of 100 soldiers a day, tragic and terrible. Do we know, do we have any actual truthful numbers about the cost to Russia in terms of economic impact and, and then the human cost in, in this conflict as well? Okay, so we don't have precise numbers, but we have estimates from Western intelligence that say that the Russians have lost uh, more soldiers in these three months of combat than they uh, lost in all their, I think it was eight to nine years of combat in Afghanistan in the 80s. Uh, So I don't, I mean, these are figures roughly, I'm going to rough throw it like 20,000 sort of thing. Um, uh, so, So militarily, the Russians are suffering Yes, and certain units are becoming operationally ineffective. They're throwing in people. They're not well trained, like people from the Donetsk area. Uh, there are being uh, are being uh, the Donbass in general are being thrown into combat units. They're not ready. Some of them are medically unfit. Um, so there's a lot of desperation to put people in the line on the Russian side. They're bleeding as well. Um, economically, uh, we know that they're that the sanctions are biting, but nevertheless. They're able to maintain uh, their, their operations because, first of all, Russia is not isolated. It's isolated from the West, but China is still there. India is still there. Uh, other countries like Mexico and Brazil are still there. Um, so, And parts of Africa and Asia are still there, So, and Latin America. So the point is that Russia is managing, and particularly they're managing with their sale of their oil and their gas, and they're getting other countries to pay in rubles which is able to sustain their economy. So the Russians are hurting, but they're able to keep pressing. And right now, it's not likely that the Russian war machine will stop because of sanctions. Andrew, as we reflect back on the past 90, well, 91 days now of this conflict, uh, and we'll go back to the beginning, there was that overwhelming and, uh, you know, big threat of perhaps using nuclear weapons from the Russians. Now that we're 90 days, three months in, how do we view that threat of nuclear weapons being used? 
Yeah, that, that is very much thankfully subsided those those discussions. Uh, I think there was rhetoric. There was a lot of rhetoric uh, on both sides um, uh, about you know limited. People have forgotten what nuclear war was or the concept of it. Uh, you know, with the Cold War, everybody sort of had all their very hard theories about that, and then this thing sort of dissipated, and people started talking about limited uh, lobbing a nuclear weapon here and this and that. Anyways, all that to say is that I think people have really woken up to what nuclear war means. It means Armageddon. Uh, and basically they have walked back from that. So I think people now understand, as they understood in the Cold War, nuclear weapons are weapons of last resort. They are used by a nuclear uh, holding state when they're like when their survival is at stake. They're back to the corner. Then they unleash nuclear weapons, and it's go for broke. Basically, it's wipe out the world. And that's not a joke. That's a statement. That's a real thing of nuclear warfare. So I think people have backed off that, and I think real, everyone's realizing that they're not going to press uh, the Russians into a, into a real corner. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's ongoing. We'll continue to talk to you, Andrew, as long as this conflict continues. Thanks again so much for joining us this morning. You're very welcome. Appreciate Thank it. you have, very much for having me. Have a great day. Thank That's you. Andrew yes, Rasoulis, yes. fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. According to Stats Canada, an estimated 37% of adult Canadians have experienced tinnitus in the past year. Now, new research is exploring the link between tinnitus and sleep in hopes of uh, developing a treatment. With details, we are joined by Linus Malinsky, a doctoral student in the Department of Physiology, Anatomy, and Genetics of University of Oxford. Good morning to you, Linus. Hello. Nice to meet you. Thanks for the invite. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to get to the causes and in, in, in the research uh, that we're talking about here. But first, uh, the question is, do we say tinnitus or tinnitus? See, I'm, I'm still wondering about that. So I've heard both tinnitus. <laughs> And, and tinnitus, and I'm never quite sure what's actually actually the right pronunciation. So but both, both works. So we can go with both. Okay, good. Because, yeah, we've heard tinnitus, <laughs> yeah. one of our listeners texted, and it's tinnitus, apparently. So, so what is the cause of it? So we, we don't know in individual cases what the, what the cause is all the time, but there seems to be a very strong correlation um, with hearing loss in many cases. So usually this can be age-related hearing loss, also after noise exposure, for example, so after visiting a loud music concert or, or like work-related noise um, can be a cause for, for tinnitus. But there are also other potential reasons. So, for example, stress, stressful times can be a trigger for tinnitus and also inflammation of the, of the auditory system. So many different um, causes um, for tinnitus are there that are related to some form of damage to the auditory system. So tinnitus, just to be clear, it's basically a ringing in your ears, a constant ringing in your ears, right? Yes, yeah, it can be most of the time it's some form of ringing or hissing sound that is thought to be generated by the brain itself. So it's not not due to a trigger in the outside world, it's understood to be generated by the brain. And it can be triggering or hissing or buzzing. Um, sometimes it can be quite complex. It can be several tones on top of each other, what, what people perceive. Um, but usually it's some constant form of noise, yes. Once you have it, can it go away ever? Um, it can, yeah. It's, 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 again, it's very diverse between patients. So sometimes when, when it starts, it can disappear after a few seconds or a few minutes. But there are also patients who get it, for example, during their childhood and then suffer from it for the whole rest of their lives. For, so it can, it can last for months. It can last for years, and then this is these are the cases where it's actually quite dis- um, disabilitating uh, condition and can be very stressful over a long time. 
Is it age-dependent, Linus? Is this something that occurs more so in, in older folks? Yeah, it's it's definitely age-dependent to a degree, but we think this is not directly because of age, but like a secondary effect of the hearing loss that we know is very age-dependent. So usually, especially in the in the higher frequencies of our hearing range, and um, we lose ability to hear when we get older. And this is often when patients also develop um, tinnitus. Okay, so let's get into your research a little bit. What's the link then that you've found between sleep and tinnitus? So the, the link that we've identified at this point is still speculation, just, just to be clear. But we are basically starting now a project and that directly investigates this link. The, the reason why we think there is a link is basically threefold. So first, um, the first observation we made is that the, the there is one um, situation during our everyday life where we normally have a, a form of phantom sensation, and this is during sleep. So the, the dream state that we have is one of the normal states where our brain generates perceptions that are not there, are not generated by the outside world. So this is the first reason. And secondly, we know that um, that uh, the the brain regions that we think are underlying the the tinnitus percept um, that are kind of hyperactive during the waking state um, that those brain regions change their activity quite drastically during sleep so there's kind of an overlap between regions affected by normal sleep-like brain activity and the tinnitus activity and third we actually see in many tinnitus patients um, that they have trouble sleeping, that they have interrupted sleep or have trouble falling asleep. And we think this might be because of this persistent activation of the brain um, because of tinnitus. Is it difficult to diagnose because it, uh, people would experience, every individual would experience it differently. So for some people, maybe it's after a night of loud noise, other people might be chronic. Is that what makes it so difficult is the individuality of, of the condition? This is definitely a challenge, yeah, because it comes in so many different um, forms that it can be more or less intense between patients. It can also come and go. It doesn't need to be persistent. It can be, for example, be strongest in the morning and then be be less so um, in the evening, or be there for a couple of days and then be off for a couple of days. So it's it's not very easy to find out um, what or, or how what what the individual tinnitus is. Also because it comes with many other conditions together, like stress and depression. Um, but the, the usual diagnosis is simply talking to the patient and asking them what they're perceiving. But we don't really have an objective test yet for tinnitus. It's usually just through speaking to the patient. So Linus, could this research, do you think, help develop a treatment, a cure, or what do you hope that might be achieved with, with what you found? Yeah, we, we think that... Um, so we think this this overlap that I talked about between brain activity during sleep and brain activity that generates the tinnitus... Um, might be might help us understand what natural brain activity could potentially suppress tinnitus, and because from from the very few studies that are out there that have actually looked at brain activity during sleep in tinnitus patients, um, we know that they still have um, deep sleep that is looks very similar to to sleep in, in normal healthy people. Um, so we think that potentially deep sleep is suppressing tinnitus to, to a degree, also because um, from the like. From the little evidence we have, we, we think that um, patients usually don't experience tinnitus during sleep. This is, of course, very hard to investigate, but from the evidence we have so far, we, we think um, the indications are pretty strong that, that there might be a case for that, that the strong modulation of brain activity during sleep could actually modulate the tinnitus as well. And if we understand that, um, then we can potentially use that information um, to, to find natural uh, ways of suppressing the tinnitus also during wakefulness. If we understand what the brain does to suppress tinnitus during sleep.
Linus, you know, we are a digital society. We're attached to our devices, and, and more than ever, we use devices such as earbuds to not only listen to music and uh, talk mm. on the phone. Have we seen an increase uh, in the past maybe 10 or 20 years due to our increased, you know, use of earbuds, for example? I'm, I'm not exactly sure about the data on that, but it, it does make a lot of sense in terms of of uh, noise exposure and tinnitus because whenever we we lose control of the noise we are exposed to during our daily lives then this inevitably increases the risk for many types of auditory conditions like hearing loss like um tinnitus and i think this was one of the reasons why many of the of the um, big companies who produce earbuds and phones and so on um were, were pressured to then to introduce um limits on on what what the sound level can be but usually these limits can be can be disabled by the user. So it's, it, it is definitely a risk factor to have earbuds and have this very direct noise exposure um, just as much as we like without any, any um, control other than, than ourselves. It's sure something that affects a lot of people. Thank you so much for the conversation this morning. Appreciate it, Linus. Thank you. Thanks so much. Linus Malinsky is an Oxford University researcher, doctoral student in the Department of Physiology, Anatomy and Genetics at Oxford. It's been kind of a, an interesting theme this morning because, well, and it stemmed from a few weeks ago and then just happened this morning that we had tinnitus. Mm-hmm. And it, very interesting. I did not know much about tinnitus. And now the I'm hearing, ringing in the ear. Yeah, how widespread it is. But something that had piqued your interest was uh, talking to an audiologist. And I was interested, uh, I was kind of surprised to hear that that's not something you've never really done. No, never done. Been in radio for 30 years, worn headphones forever, loud music in my ears. I thought maybe it was time. So I went and saw an audio and I had a hearing test done. Here at Hearing Life, I'm getting my ears checked, my hearing checked, I should say, and I'm with Claire Harper, who is an audiologist. Claire, what is it like when people come in? I mean, it's an interesting experience to get your hearing checked, but are most people sort of nervous when they walk in, or, or what's it like for people? Um, I would definitely say, yeah, that is the general reaction. People are quite nervous. They're scared if I'm going to tell them that they actually do have hearing loss and they need hearing aids. I think there's definitely kind of a negative connotation to hearing aids. People think of older hearing aids and what their grandparents mm-hmm. wore and all the, the things that came along with that. But that's something that it's nice. We can kind of ease their mind, let them know the hearing test is not that bad. Try out new hearing aids and all the new technology for sure. All of which we did. Um, you started off putting me in a soundproof room and then with some uh, sort of earbuds in your ears, sending sounds to me and letting me push a button if I hear it. So it was really fascinating because I've always kind of wondered what that looks like. So what are you checking for in those hearing tests? So pretty much what we're looking for is the softest sounds that a person can hear. Um, That gives us a baseline so that if they do have some hearing loss, we are able to set up a hearing aid based on that hearing test. Um, I mean, hearing tests are always free and I always tell people there's no harm in getting a baseline test. Um, Even if you do have hearing loss and you're not ready for hearing aids now, at least we have a baseline. So if things change down the road, we have something to compare to. Um, So yeah. Um, I wanted to get it right because I know it's a test and, you know, I'm an overachiever. So do people like do people push that little button and say they're hearing things even when they're not? 
Uh, yes, that definitely does happen. Um, sometimes we do have kind of people that just click all the time, um, but we do have kind of different strategies and different methods to work through that to figure out where you actually are hearing the sound. And that's why we do some of the other tests as cross checks to make sure that you actually were a reliable tester for me. Um, yes, because it's very important. Like the hearing test is what everything else is based off of. So we want to make sure we have a good test. And the other tests that you refer to, I mean, so there's the, sort of the beep test, but then there are sounds or words with some background noise, for example. So it's, it's very much a real life test. Yeah, definitely. And as um, like hearing tests kind of evolve with the times, we've added more tests onto them. So that one with the background noise is a relatively recent test that we've started doing. But it's really important because that's a huge complaint of most people is that they have trouble hearing in mm -hmm. background noise. So it kind of gives you a, a real number to say, okay, yes, you have more difficulty in background noise than some other people, or you are within that normal range. Background noise is just hard. Um, so it kind of makes it a little bit more realistic for people, which is easier to relate to. Well, I can honestly say it's very painless. <laughs> it's, it's very stress-free. It was easy. I mean, it's just, it's kind of fascinating to know, you know, am I hearing it or am I not hearing it? And then you show the results right after. So that's really neat. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've shown me hearing aids and I actually put some in. Hearing aids have come a long way. They're Bluetooth now. Yes, the technology in hearing aids is honestly so cool. So I feel like a lot of people come in and they really are like, oh, my grandparents had hearing aids or my parents had hearing aids and they squealed all the time <laughs> and they were gigantic and I don't want that. But honestly, hearing aids now, they have Bluetooth built into them. So that allows you to directly connect to your cell phone. You can stream music and phone calls and that sort of thing. So they're essentially like a wireless headset, which is really awesome. The technology has come so far and it's advancing so much. Even in the past, like two, three years, things have changed a lot. Who should come and get their hearing tested? I would say anyone. I mean, hearing tests are always free, but definitely anyone who is over 65, it's really important because um, a little bit of a fun statistic for you, over half of Canadians over 60 are living with untreated hearing loss. Um, so even just coming in for a baseline test, if you do have some hearing loss, and like I said before, you're not ready for hearing aids, even trying the demo, um, coming back in a few years when you are ready is, is really important. It's fascinating. It's free and everybody should do it. Thank you very much for uh, testing my hearing. Did I pass? Yes, you did with flying colors. Whew. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.